Hey, Steve Cena. Welcome to the Geological Audio Journal. Well, thanks for having me. Delighted to have you. So our topic today is something near and dear. Well, I don't know if it's near and dear, but it is close to our hearts. It's the issue of dry needling, which is something that some acupuncturists, they're kind of, actually, they're kind of down with it. They're happy and they do it. It's a nice orthopedic technique. And then there's a bunch of acupuncturists that are, uh, they're out there with pitchforks and, and torches. So, yeah. Absolutely. What got you interested in this whole dry needling thing? I'm, I'm curious to know what, what got you started. I wouldn't say it's an interest. <laughs> I would say you kind of stumble into it. Uh, I mostly provide orthopedic acupuncture or anatomical types of needling. Uh, I used quite a bit in my practice. And this is what I teach at the New England School of Acupuncture is orthopedic acupuncture. So it's a whole host of approaches that involve trigger point acupuncture, innervation zones, motor points, parosteal needling, you know, all the anatomical approaches. And I sort of felt that when dry needling really started to catch on, or at least the name change from acupuncture trigger point therapy, it seemed to me, to dry needling, that I needed to pay closer attention to this. And also, how does this affect my practice as an educator? How does it affect the student's ability to set up shop and be uh, effective and get patients without finding that there is a whole other profession that's creating a competition for them that is a bit or more than a bit unbalanced in, in terms of power and network and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, I got involved about over a decade ago in this issue or this fight and have evolved since then as one needed to in, in dealing with this issue. Yeah. That name change thing to me is really interesting. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we see this in all kinds of areas of society. In some ways, it's how you frame an issue or how you frame a product or how you frame a service. What are the words that you're using or what are the words that you're not using? And, and it, it creates a whole reality, right? So to go from acupuncture trigger point therapy to dry needling, uh, that's a big one. Do you know what what all was behind that? These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 
Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I, I do. It, it's it goes all the way back to Travell and Simons, who um, wrote a manual for the use of trigger points. Even in that text, Travell refers to the use of dry needling as opposed to wet needling, which is the injection of a substance, lidocaine or, or other substance, uh, that to use a hypodermic needle without substance uh, would be just as effective at releasing a trigger point, which is a tight palpable band of tissue that when pressed has a predictable pain referral pattern. Uh, she also discovered that, oh, it seems like acupuncture could also be effective at releasing these trigger points and using the mm-hmm. acupuncture needle. So it went from hypodermic, no substance needling to, oh, we can use an acupuncture needle and have the same type of effect. So that's sort of where it started way back in the day. And as a result, with the her, her and Simon's manual and Gun and Baldry's uh, text as well, there's been other texts, it's evolved in the sense that They both created a manual for how to perform or how to treat it, uh, acupuncture, or should I say trigger points, using a more allopathic or Western medical perspective. And so 
these manuals, you know, if you're a physical therapist or someone who's a Western medical practitioner and physical therapist, occupational therapist, athletic trainer specifically, are well suited to pick that up and to begin applying it in their practice. Sure. I mean, they're looking at trigger points anyway. That's right. That is very much in their wheelhouse. And it seems that I think any practitioner, acupuncturist, physical therapist, trainer, I mean, whoever is in the business of helping other people, we probably want to use whatever tools we can get our hands on that lets us be more effective. That's right. And I think for our profession, we define ourselves a lot by the tool we use, the acupuncture needle. Physical therapists and the other professions are really about adding modalities to their toolbox. So it's really easy for us to be angry. And I think we have a right to be angry to some extent that these are the professions are sort of taking what we do in some ways, not specifically because it is a style of acupuncture, and add it to their toolbox. Uh, but they're not always doing it necessarily with the guys that we're going to steal acupuncture from the acupuncturist. I mean, sure, you can't say that for everyone, but you can certainly see that the physical therapists are thinking, oh, look, another tool. Mm -hmm. I'd like to add that to what I already do um, as far as a profession that does these kinds of approaches. Yeah. You know, I don't think that they are alone because when I look at our profession, we see practitioners borrowing from osteopathy. We see practitioners borrowing from other kinds of manual medicine. And as it fits within the rubric of what we do and within our scope of practice, I think we see, and Chinese medicine's done this forever anyway, something works, we're going to incorporate it and use it. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that in a sense goes both ways that we're looking to, as much as possible, be able to help our patients. Something kind of rhymes with acupuncture and we feel like we can do it. We're going to bring that in. And, and the other thing that you bring up, and I think this is really, for me, this has been very helpful in making sense of this landscape that we're in. Yes, we define ourselves by the tool that we use. But the tool that we use, which is a needle, that's one method of Chinese medicine. That's one piece of it. And I think the strength of our particular medicine comes not just from the tool, great tool, super powerful, very helpful and effective, but that behind that tool, we have thousands of years of thinking, thousands of years of looking at how the body works and how we can interact with it that lets us guide that tool. That's right. It's a, what we provide is a therapy, right? Acupuncture is a therapy. So uh, I think where the challenge comes in, is in the marketplace. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we've, I've done the math and you talked about, you know, scope of practice. Last time I checked, there was something like 261 scope of practice challenges across allied health where, you know, dentists don't like that dental hygienists are doing certain techniques. You know, it, it's, it's pretty much, it's widespread. Uh, but physical therapists do outnumber acupuncture seven to one. And I think because of that, and they're also well-organized. They have a very powerful national organization. They've rivaled the AAMA in many extents, uh, in, many, in many ways. So I think for us still feeling like the new kid on the block, it, it creates a dynamic that we still feel like we're kind of being left behind. And I think that's certainly changing. And part of the new perspective is, we need to start thinking about not so much about what others are doing, 
to some extent. I, I think legislation still needs to happen. I think regulation still needs to happen when it comes to dry needling. I can talk about that all day. But we need to start focusing on what we do. How are we expert needlers? And how do we take this term that in some ways has always turned my stomach <laughs> to say the word dry needling? How do we take that term and how do we make it part of our own as well? Uh, because patients hear dry needling and they don't know the difference and they don't know the difference between that and acupuncture or what does acupuncture provide and what does dry needling provide. So we need to sort of take the word back in some ways and market ourselves and position ourselves in a way that uh, puts us forward and uses that momentum to drive our profession even further forward is, is the hope. It's interesting. I have seen acupuncture websites where people have dry needling on their website because they're trying to drive traffic and people are Googling for dry needling. They may or may not do a lot of dry needling, but they've got that word on there because it adds some Google juice. So I've seen that. On the other side of it, I have had more than a few patients come in and I ask them if they've had acupuncture before and they go, well, you know, not really. I had a thing called dry needling. You're not going to do that to me, are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, generally speaking, the people that I see, I think the dry needling has not helped them. And that's why they're in my office. If it's helped them, I, I, I don't see them. It's not a pleasant experience for most people. It's a very mechanical approach. It, it's feeling there's a tightness in tissue and the needle becomes the tool to break it up. That, that's sort of the concept. Uh, I think, you know, it has to, again, do with, deal with the training that's involved. You know, if a, if a physical therapist takes a weekend workshop and then goes back to their practice and says, Let's, let me see if I can add this new modality, they're going to cause a lot of pain and discomfort. I, I do think there are some dry needlers out there who've done extensive um, training in how to perform the technique. And they're maybe able to perform it in a more comfortable way. But I, I, yeah, I hear those stories all the time about how painful it was. And in fact, you know, being sort of in this area of sort of fighting the issue, you know, we've been looking for adverse events. You know, we've, we've heard lots of different stories uh, with pneumothorax or nerve injury, certainly lots of bruising. And unfortunately, we've come to the place to realize that attorney general's offices and other entities aren't interested in scope of practice creep or turf wars until someone pretty much dies from the technique. You know, that, that's, that's what I have to say is it's not going to really raise any eyebrows in terms of regulation until such harm is done that will hit the media hard and you know, bring everyone's awareness to what this mm -hmm. is well, that, in some ways. I mean, that makes sense, given what you said a little earlier in our conversation about other professions also having their own turf wars. We're not alone in this. Now, I mean, I've been at this for about 20 years, so I don't even remember hearing about dry needling early on. And 20 years ago, many acupuncturists were happy just to have a practice that was not really a medical practice. I mean, we're doing medical work, of course, but they were happy not to be in the mainstream. And yes, as time has gone on, many people do want to be in the mainstream. They want to be in hospitals. They want to be in integrated clinics. They want to feel like they're really a part of what modern conventional medicine is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it seems that that dry needling is one of those, I'm going to call it kind of a bridge technique. Where, where people can practice Chinese medicine, 
but maybe they're thinking more about integrative medicine. And, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that landscape as acupuncture is more and more well accepted and, and welcomed into places where 20 years ago, there was no way we were getting in there. Oh, no. I mean, I, I graduated in 2001 myself from the New England School of Acupuncture. And, but my interest back then, I had learned uh, acupuncture trigger point therapy from David Legge over from Australia. He, he has close to the bone. That's where was my first introduction to it. And I knew I wanted to specialize in orthopedic conditions. And so at the time it was, you had to do trigger point work pretty much. Uh, and that's sort of what I've learned in the very beginning as, as I started to incorporate into my practice. But times have certainly changed. Uh, the, the integrative landscape, for instance, you know, we have a program now that we've adapted into our doctoral program, which is called Acupuncture Integrative Pain Management. And it's really about incorporating our ideas from Western medicine, orthopedic physical assessment, dermatomes, myotomes, anatomical kneeling processes with traditional Chinese medicine approaches. Again, not losing the roots and the foundation of what Chinese medicine is. Uh, but also knowing that there are other techniques and styles that we can incorporate that have that more anatomical approach. So I think, you know, across the board, we're also seeing such an uptick in jobs being offered to acupuncturists and more opportunities for acupuncturists to work in clinical settings that we, we're going to move in that direction uh, no matter what. And so old school acupuncturists, I remember back in the day, you know, any idea of wanting to work in a clinic was just, you know, why would you ever want to do that? Why would you ever want to put yourself in a Western medical environment since they failed us in some ways was the notion, right? That we're being failed by that system and we don't want anything to do with it. Well, I think nowadays it's about let's integrate so that if there are failings within the system, how can we sort of fill those gaps? Our medicine is very powerful, uh, you know, has the holistic perspective as some others do as well. But how do we fill the gaps, especially when it comes to the treatment of pain? I mean, the opioid epidemic is clearly an indication of, of we need something different. We need something better. And I think we're perfectly posed for that. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind, and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Anne Cecil Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. It, it, the opioid ec epidemic is indeed a, a sign of the failure of that system. Absolutely. Yeah. So you were talking about 
how some of us would like to be in that integrative model because we feel like we can fill in the gaps. And I've heard other practitioners bring up the uh, the challenge to that, which is, okay, it's an integrative setting, but it, who's integrating who? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so the, even the term integrative is not the best term to use uh, when we're talking about this. It's almost like a, it's a nice flashy term. It gets heads turning, all those sorts of things. Um, but, but to be honest, yes, it's, it's us in some ways integrating into the Western medical system. Uh, I think of it almost like, you know, we're opening up a back door to bring Chinese medicine in, as opposed to thinking, why do we have to conform to Western medicine ideas and philosophies? I mean, I think there's a lot of great things in Western medicine that we can pick up as a, as a practice that we won't lose the heart of what we do as practitioners. Uh, so instead, I usually think of it as they're giving me an opportunity to open a back door to really bring Chinese medicine in, further into the medical system, mm-hmm. as opposed to the other negative way of that some can look at it as. And as we come into that integrative environment, like you're talking about, what do you think are some of the unique benefits? Well, it's a, it's a double question. What are some of the unique benefits that we bring to it? And what are some of the pitfalls that we might want to watch out for? Well, let's start with the pitfalls. <laughs> um, I think you know, some of the work I do at the university is through interprofessional education. And I've, I've found, in some ways, surprisingly, having been in this field for a while, that uh, a lot of other professions are really interested and really open to what we do. You know, there are healthcare practitioners, and then there's the, the healthcare industry. Mm. And they're not, they're not the same thing. And so I think lots of healthcare practitioners uh, want us and want to provide good patient care, just like we do. And if it means incorporating things like acupuncture or other forms of, of healing, then they're very open to it. It's, it's more of a matter, matter of how do we convince the industry that it's good for the industry? Uh, and John Weeks is someone who speaks to this issue very eloquently. Uh, it's going to take a lot more time and a lot more work. I mean, we're still I still think we're in the infancy phase of, of making that happen to some extent. Uh, I think the more that we show what we can do, uh, the more we can help people uh, and help the healthcare providers who are providing care within this industry, uh, the more that we'll have of these champions that can really help position us better in the, in the healthcare environment. Uh, we're, we're still the sort of the, lack of a better phrase, the, the sort of the stepchild in the basement kind of thing that, uh, you know, we're kind of pushed off to the side. But I think if the industry can look at us as also being revenue generators, then that would be a positive thing. But as you can see, that could also be quite a negative thing. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, it's it's a double-edged thing, as most things are. And we very much are the new kids on the block. Mm-hmm. I mean, acupuncture has been here for a number of decades now. I live in St. Louis, Missouri. Pretty much everybody's heard of it. It's not that strange of a thing, even here in the Midwest of the United States. So, you know, we are dispersing through the culture, but we still are very, very new. Our way of thinking is very, very weird compared to Western medicine. So there's that. It's like, how do we learn to be bilingual? you know, in the sense that we can speak Chinese medicine and we can speak conventional medicine in plain English. You made a point 
that really hits the mark for me. We've got practitioners and practitioners like connecting with other practitioners that usually goes really well. Most practitioners have respect for other people who put their heart into the work that they do. But when we start looking at industry, connecting with industry, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, where we're seeing acupuncture being franchised now to some extent. And oh, yes. Yes, it's out. We've got one right up the street. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, and then, um, you know, I, I talked about us sort of being regulated to the spaces that are empty because otherwise they'd put a physician in there to make more money in the spaces. Yeah, I, I think um, it really is going to come down to just, just like it's come down to our clinical practice, which is patients are driving the message, right? You know, it, it's there's an idea of, of mandating coverage for acupuncturists uh, or, or for acupuncture. And then there's the idea of the patients, you know, the, the, the revenue generators, you know, the ones who are paying for the insurance, demanding the acupuncture. I hope, my hope for the future is an optimistic one and that we'll have a seat at the table to help decide how we get reimbursed or how we're ultimately able to practice our medicine the way it is meant to be practiced and, and, and not be squeezed in the way that we've seen the other healthcare professions get squeezed, you know. Uh, I, I never took, or I took to a very small extent, insurance as a private practitioner. And I always said, you know, people would ask, do you want to accept insurance? I said, well, just ask a chiropractor, physical therapist, or a physician whether they enjoy taking insurance and how does it affect their ability to help patients? And, and so that's where I've always come from. But but as a, as a teacher, I recognize that when our students graduate, they're in a much better position if they can take insurance and, and be covered for the care they provide, more people will be driven to them and ultimately they'll be successful faster and sooner. And, you know, like you said, you've been in this for 20 years. In the old days, it wasn't so easy and so quick to set up practices that were, you know, revenue generators. Well, actually, 20 years ago, I was in Seattle, Washington, and insur- it was one of the first states to really bring insurance to everybody in the state. So, yeah, most of us especially starting out, took insurance. Wow, okay. And it was a double-edged sword. On one hand, yeah, great. There's all these people that are calling me because uh, I take their insurance, so to speak. On the other hand, you've got all the headaches of, of dealing with insurance. You're at the mercy of what they decide you're going to be reimbursed. And you're in some ways at the mercy of what you can do and how you can work. I remember that you could bill two units of acupuncture if you went back in the room and you did some more needles. And the question I asked myself every time, it's not a great question, very uncomfortable question. Does this patient really need it or do I not want to leave 30 bucks on the table? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a tough position. That's, to a, be that's a tough position. And I hate to say it, but there's plenty of times they probably don't need this needle, but it's not going to hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the challenge. And I, you know, not accepting insurance in the early days, it was about, so, so we can address the issue of, you know, um, access to our care. Uh, you know, sliding scale is, is something that I offered. And I think many acupuncturists offered is like, why do we need to involve a third party so that they can make money? Uh, when I'd rather just discount my service, not deal with the headache of dealing with that third party 
and provide the care to someone who may not be able to afford the service. And so I'm still a, a believer in, in that. But, you know, patients, I would say majority of patients, once insurance or Medicaid covers acupuncture, it's it's the what's the word I'm looking for? The the the, the go ahead to seek acupuncture. Maybe they're just waiting for in some ways, it makes us more acceptable because their insurance covers it. Yeah. The other piece is, I think people want to get the most they can out of their insurance. They want to milk it for all they got. I know I would, right? Oh, I got insurance. I want to use as much as I can. I, you know, I want to get anything that we purchase. We want to use it to its fullest. And so, I, you know, I understand people want to use their insurance. And, and you know, on the other side of it is there are people bless their hearts, their goal is to get as many people the opportunity to have acupuncture as possible. And if that means insurance, if that means Medicare, if that means integration into a system they may not like, but it means more people have access, they're down with it. So I I think we have this wide spectrum of practitioners. Some of us really are, you know, I don't want much to do with that, that conventional system. And there's a place for those practitioners. And there's other people that are, I want everybody in the world to be able to get and afford and receive acupuncture. Yeah, I think there's a place for both. I, I, I Like I said, I as, a, as an educator, maybe myself in practice wouldn't want to deal with that piece because I've been in the practice for long enough where I don't necessarily need to deal with that. But as a new student coming out, you know, I, I have to support our direction with that. And, and, and it's the direction of the National Association's direction of my state association. And so I want to support them as best I can. And if this is the direction we're moving in, so be it. Uh, you know, what can I do to, to help that? Uh, and I think there's some great people working on this, these issues right now that have, you know, just to, just to champion them or, or to, to, to show from the rooftops some of them who are doing this great work at the ASA and you know, working behind the scenes and talking to legislators and um, really moving the needle forward for us that I think a lot of us maybe not be aware of, you know, there was a dry needle code. So talking about dry needling, that I believe it was Amy Major, Eric Raymond Buckley, you know, other people as well. So forgive me for not remembering their names that made sure that the code of dry needling wasn't going to be only under the physical therapy code. Mm. that acupuncturists could use it as well, and that the reimbursement wasn't going to be significant. So when you think about that strategy, you can see how it would be a, it's a disincentive for physical therapists to then start doing dry needling, especially if there's a code which they have to use, not the manual therapy code, and then to not get reimbursed for it very well. So, you know, uh, it, it was this group and, and the National Association that identified the ability to do that and and made it happen. So I just got to give them, you know, strong kudos for that. Yes, I absolutely agree. We have amazing people that are putting a lot of time and energy into looking at these issues. So the rest of us don't have to. And, you know, in having a code that could be built by PTs or whatever allied professionals, as well as acupuncturists, means we do have a place at that table. The thing that's super frustrating is when someone besides an acupuncturist can get reimbursement for acupuncture when acupuncturists can't. Um, that's something that parity in Massachusetts that we've dealt with for a while where physicians were able to get coverage and acupuncturists were not. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I, I think that's 
that's that's a no go for us. <laughs> In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. In terms of the future, what does it look like to you? I I think the future looks very bright. Uh, I think I'm seeing students graduate and within a year, start to be able to generate revenue that uh, they're actually starting to pay off their student loans well. And, and, and it wasn't like that, you know, in, in the old days, it was more like it took you two to five years to establish a practice that was generating, you know, sort of in the black. Uh, and now it seems to be one to two years for a lot of uh, students. In fact, there are students out there who will come back to the school and ask, can you post a job opening for me? Uh, because they're hiring other acupuncturists and they want to grow their practices. So that that's the, the positive news. When it comes to the dry needling issue, um, something I wanted to push forward is that let's use that term, like you mentioned earlier, which is in our marketing. Uh, you know, We're looking right now at if a practitioner wants to practice that style, what kind of standards can be created on a national level that can um, designate someone as a advanced level dry needler, let's say. And, and there's going to be plenty of practitioners who say, there's no way, I have no interest in doing trigger point work. Well, then what's the network that you can send that patient who's asking about it to another acupuncturist? And exactly. don't, give them the, don't give them the opportunity to see a physical therapist say, well, if you want an expert, someone who's an expert in needling therapies, then here's an acupuncturist that you should see. Uh, and so let's 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 move that forward. Again, it doesn't mean we're not going to push for regu- regulation and legislation, but let's take a more positive, forward-looking, forward-thinking outlook. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, let's use it to our advantage. So, in some ways, let's own it. Let's own it. That's that's the message. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, it it still turns my stomach a little bit, but let's use the term. Let's use it in our marketing. The physical therapists are doing a great job of getting the word out. And uh, we need to, to say that we do it as well, if we indeed do it. You know, there, there are courses. Right. And like you say, if we don't, actually not really an interest of mine. I've got a whole different way of approaching acupuncture. But I, yes, would absolutely love to know the people in my area who do that because I want to send folks to them. Yeah. I mean, I've always felt trigger point work to be 
somewhat uninteresting. <laughs> so there's so many other approaches that one can take, even from an orthopedic perspective, that I find more interesting. Uh, and you know, to perform the the actual dry needling, like I said, we could do that. I could do that, but I'm sure there's others who really like to do it. You know, Tri-State was a school that really graduated many, many people um, who are well-trained in um, performing this kind of care. Uh, and, and some of those people now, like Bianca Baldini, you know, she's setting up a, a workshop to train others how to perform this therapy. You know, we have Lindsay Long out in Colorado who's doing this kind of work as well. So um, not to drop too many names, but yeah, let's seek, let's seek their training. I love that term, performing this method of care. You know, it's really what we're about. We're here to, we're here to care. We're here to help whatever way we can. You know, the languaging piece, it, it, it's so easy to get into a battle over words. One of the things I've learned over the course of years, it's a, it's a lesson that's been difficult for me to learn because I'm hard headed. <laughs> but when it comes to marketing, when it comes to, actually, let's rephrase that. When it comes to effective communications, because marketing is nothing more than effective communication. You don't want to be forcing other people to speak your language. You want to be speaking their language. You want to communicate with them in the way they want to be communicated with. And if you can do that, you can establish a connection and then you've got a, you've got a care and a service that you can offer them. And that speaks to what we were talking about earlier, which was that integrative medicine piece. You know, we have to be able to speak, to use medical terminology. Uh, you know, when I when I speak to acu, I'm sorry, when I speak to medical students about acupuncture, I, I tend to talk about it in the third person. <laughs> you know, I'm sort of saying, you know, oh, acupuncturists believe, or you know, Chinese medicine practitioners believe, uh, because it's it's meant to. I'm meant to sort of help stand on their side of the table and direct them to something that is really amazing, right? And so, you know, I, I always often think of the term positioning. How do we position ourselves uh, best? And how do we always reflect, uh, you know, good practices and going on and on about the marketing piece? Because I think that's really a really important piece that we need to push. Well, and and I'm I'm thinking too, and, and thank you for this, this distinction between practitioners and industry. And sometimes we're speaking personally as a practitioner. And sometimes we're speaking as a member of the industry. I think it's probably helpful to know <clears throat> when we're speaking from which role. Yes, it's, it's, it's important to define and, and also to recognize when we are trying to position ourselves within hospital settings and clinical settings that what are the best avenues. And those are two different avenues that can be taken. Uh, and it really depends on, in some ways, who you know, right? And who you know and how you can position yourself. Of better. course. Yeah, that, that, that goes, that's just the way humans work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, anything else that you'd like to share with us about dry needling or integrative medicine today? I think just to communicate the message that let's move forward as a profession, uh, to, to use the, the phrase that was used at the ASA conference, we're stronger together. Mm. And the more we support one another, uh, the better we are in, the, in the eyes of Western medicine practitioners and industry. Uh, the time is no, I mean, there is no longer time for us to be fighting one another about what's a better style or what's important. Uh, we need to come together as a profession uh, in order to make us stronger, in order to expand the care we can provide to patients. And so that's what I'd like to leave you with. 
stronger together. That means we're going to have to learn to respect each other a little more, don't you think? That's absolutely the case. (laughs) Steve, thanks so much for your time today and uh, joining us here in the Audio Journal. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. (laughs) 